HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to Processing, a show about the intersection between food and grief with your hosts, Sara Tangora and Bobby Conforto. On this show, we're going to really explore where grief and food intersect, how they go hand in hand, different people's experiences with their specific traumas and how food played a part from the beginning to the end of that experience. And how as individuals, we uniquely process life's traumas and losses through either the longing for, the creating of, the avoiding of, the obsessing over, and the eating of food. I remember right after Michael died, I still miss him, but I missed him so badly that night that I stopped at the convenience store on the corner and I bought a container of Ben and Jerry's Cherry Garcia. It's too sweet, you know, it's too everything. And I went home with it and I took it to bed And I thought to myself, gee, so this is my first menage a trois after Michael's death. (laughs) Me, Ben, and Jerry. And I ate the entire thing. What do you think your relationship to food was during times of crisis? I think that um, my sister and I use food to reward ourselves. I wish I had something more interesting to say, but definitely like spaghetti and meatballs and chocolate cake. (laughs) (laughs) My mom still can't eat rugula. It makes her too sad. I've also experienced a lot of loss, as has Bobby. And I think we really wanted to find a way where we could like work together. There's something that feels very compelling about doing a project with you, Mom, um, as just kind of a missing piece in life and just something we've always wanted to do but not known quite how. can't think of anything better myself. I think that, I mean, any conversation about grief, I think, prepares everyone for grief because there are so few conversations about grief. It's why I think that what you guys are doing is so important. (laughs) This episode is presented by Henry's Wine and Spirit. To the Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Andre Mack. Andre Houston Mack. Yay, yay. Yay, yay. We'll talk to Andre about wine, of course, diversity. I want his take. Mason Noir, his winery, and a lot more. There's a lot of stuff going on with this guy. Mm-hmm. We'll taste one of Andre's wines for our weekly wine sip. Plus, he brought in a vintage Napa cab, which has a backstory to it, too. Um, I'm Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. All right. From military school to city corp to wine, Andre Mack got his start in San Antonio, where he was selected Best Young Psalm by the Shonda Rotisserie, the first African American to do so. Andre channeled those good vibes west to Thomas Keller's French Laundry as a Psalm and then headed east as the opening crew of Keller's Per Se. Following his passion for winemaking, Andre created Maison Noir Wines in Oregon. 
Things don't stop there. Andre is a graphic artist, recent mm-hmm. restaurant and wine store owner, and author of his new book, 99 Bottles, A Black Sheep's Guide to Changing, to, A Black Sheep's Guide to Life-Changing Wine. Very important that I yes. read it right. All right, I told everyone about you, so let's go home. All right, <laughs> there we go. Listen, Andre, welcome back to the show. Thank we, you so much. We had a chance to sit down for a short time in Charleston at the Wine and Food Festival. Yep. But we didn't have a lot of time, and a lot of cool things have been going on since, so I want to talk about it. But first, I think because we do have time, um, you have a very interesting history. And I want to keep it, you know, sort of from adult and wine-centric to current and all of that. So tell me where everything started. I alluded in the intro you were down in San Antonio. First of all, why were you down there? And then where were you? What got you to wine? And then bring me home. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was living in San Antonio. My mother, we were... I was born in Trenton, New Jersey. My mom was really, uh, she fell in love with Texas. She enlisted in the military. She just really loved it. Like all the way down to like being a Cowboys fan. Like she really loved the Cowboys and she loved Texas. And uh, so we we moved down there. We were down there for a while. Then we moved away to Germany, came back. And so, you know, I went to high school there. And so that was, you know, kind of home for me. Why were you moving? More than most people. Oh, yeah. Um, both my parents were officers in the military. Okay. So, we, so that's yeah, yeah, obvious. We were army brats. So, right. Yeah, we moved quite a bit. And um, so, you know, I, you know, same kind of story, you know, waited tables, found waiting tables. You know, I was going on to bigger and better things, you know, after school, you know, waiting tables was just holding me over kind of thing. And I, you know, I got a job at Citicorp Investment Services, um, you know, took my Series 7 and 63 and... It wasn't what I thought it would be, actually, you know. And so at this point, you know, it's like I missed that interaction with people talking to guests like that, that rush that I got from working in a restaurant. Like there wasn't any of that. And um, and so I wasn't real sure what I was going to do. And just so happened Travelers Group bought Citibank and they merged together and they were laying off people um, because Solomon Smith Barney was their financial arm. Right. And so I raised my hand. I was like, so wait a minute, let me get this crate correct you're gonna let me go and you're gonna pay me for six months and they're like yeah and i said i'm not getting fired they're like no i was like i'll take it so i ended up leaving um and then you know trying to figure out what i was going to do ultimately went back to restaurants but during that time the severance time i uh you know i was watching this show called frazier reruns of frazier and frazier uh, him and his brother, these two pompous uh, bon doctors. Vivant. Yeah, pompous guys. They were, they were Erudite. They were the best. Um, and that show really gave me the courage. Watching that show gave me the courage to walk into a wine store for the first time in my life, and not uh, in a way to like because I thought I was wanted to be in the wine business. It was just like they were having so much fun in their lives, and I just wanted to have wine a part of my life. And so I started going into wine shops with my $10, $12, $25 budget and asking for recommendations. And that kind of just kind of struck a chord with me. And fast forward, you know, a lot of studying, um, a lot of determination. Like, I mean, I, I was up, you know, from 1030 to four in the morning studying on most nights um, trying to figure out this whole thing, wine. And uh, you were obsessed. Yeah. And then I stuck, you know, I, did some competitions, did a whole bunch of other different stuff, and long story short, you know, I ended up finding my way to um, to Thomas Keller and at the French Laundry, and I was a sommelier there. And but then I during that time, but stop for a second before Keller, you were working at some decent restaurants in town, right? I remember you said the Palm. Yeah, well, the Palm restaurant. They and came then as, another yeah, place opened. Bo- Bohannon's, yeah, yeah, another steakhouse. So you know, I, I did work. You know, I started to wake up better places with better wine lists. That that kind of thing, in. And then I moved on. <laughs> and then I moved on. I left I left San Antonio. You know, I was working for the steakhouse, and I, I went to go work. Uh, what was the connection to get you out of Texas to go to Keller? I mean, where where how did that match make? Yeah, I um, I went to stage with the only master sommelier in the state of Texas. Uh-huh. Uh, I remember it was, I showed up at his back door on a Thursday night. The competition was on Friday, which I was in town for. Uh, I remember talking to Mr. Paul Roberts, and Paul had informed me that on Monday, earlier that week on Monday, he had accepted the position to be the beverage director for all of Thomas Keller's properties. Wow. 
And uh, we got to talking, hanging out. We had a really great time, and we started to work the floor. Uh, and it was we really had some chemistry working the floor together. It was really great, and um, you know he really kind of took me underneath his wing. And at the end of the night, you know, he asked me if I wanted to move to California to go to the <laughs> to work at the French Laundry. So him and Fraser had pretty big uh, impacts <laughs> on your life. Oh, just, a huge impact. Just for context, because as we move forward, yeah. what year was it when you? Got to I think, uh, French Laundry. Uh, 02, I think. We're talking 02? Yeah, yeah, I think so. All right, so take it from there. You're there doing what? How long? I was a sommelier there. Just, you know, I worked a lot. I think I worked... I think I think I worked like 37 days in a row. Like, I just couldn't get enough. It was mentally... You, it didn't bother you. It was mentally exhausting. What else was I going to do there? There was nothing else to do. But it was... I was fascinated with it. You know, I, I don't know how many times I, you know, I had fallen asleep, you know, cleaning out the, you know, the POS... You know, while I'm trying to organize it, you know, at three in the morning, and somebody, you know, you know, Laura Cunningham comes and wakes me up. Was um, was that a place back then that had five, six psalms on the floor for a dinner service, or not that many? No, it was two. It was, it was two. two. Oh. Yeah, so it was gener- it was me. So as awesome as that place and famous as it was, yeah. the staff was intimate. Well, yeah, I mean, you gotta realize that I was there at the end of an era. You know, I mean, when I had to go get wine, the wine was in a, this. You know, you you had to get on the ground. You had to lay on the ground to get some of the wines in the wine <laughs> cellar. It had like sawdust on the floor. It wasn't as beautiful as it is now. Um, you know, the pass where the chef, you know, where all the plates came through, he used to sit on it when you know during right. the pre-shift meeting, and Different. it was just a stainless steel table. You know, the pass at per se cost a hundred thousand dollars. Wow. You know, so it's a lot different. You know, it was an end of an era. It was still mom and pop, and which it was a really beautiful, cool. a really beautiful thing, and yeah. and and gave me hope for my own dreams because you know what I know what it looks like, right? It it you know, and that was at you know a ten year anniversary. Well, I was going to ask you this question after you finished, but yeah. it's a good time to ask it now. Um, you you spent a decent amount of time with Keller, and we'll fast forward yeah. to per se and all that. Um, that sort of answers the question, but expand more. What influences, what impact did Keller, you know, as the guy in Keller with his vision and being in his aura, you know, have on you as you moved on and even today? Discipline. It was something that I felt like I was lacking. I remember in my interview process sitting with him uh, at a picnic table, and he asked me why <laughs> He asked me why I wanted to work there, and I started laughing. I was like, is this a trick question? And he says, I, you know, I've heard lots of things about you in San Antonio, something like that. And I, you know, I kind of laughed it off. And I said, because I need discipline. Um, generally, you'll find in most restaurants of, of a certain caliber, there's only one or two people who actually really care. And sometimes it's not even the owner. And, you know, I couldn't always carry it. You know, in those days that I felt like I was lacking, I needed someone to kick me in my butt, too, like to get to set me straight. And. And I remember just saying that to him, and he, he says, well, we can give you discipline. And, uh, and it was great. You know, it was, it was great to be around a, a whole bunch of like-minded people that, that were all driven and that pushed you. Uh, and I Is really he still felt, like that, I would I don't, I don't know. I haven't. I, yeah, I don't I'm know, just yeah, curious if you sense that. I, I would believe that he, he still is. He's still, I think so. He's still the same person. And, he, and, you know, the biggest thing what I learned from him is, is that is that. Everybody has, I wouldn't call it buy-in because that seems kind of weird, but everybody believes in the vision and understands what the vision is, and we're all on the same page. And the amount of work that you can get done and accomplish when everybody is thinking like the visionary is astounding. And, um, you know, and if I, you know, I've witnessed that on some of my own projects, but the idea of having people believe in your vision and your dream is, you know, but you've also witnessed the opposite where you know that guy doesn't belong there either, right? Correct. In a and sense. You, yeah. And, but, you know, that generally takes care of itself. Right. Right. You know, um, and, and not that, that that's bullying or anything like that, but it generally takes care of itself. The, those, the people who don't really fit in or don't get it generally end up leaving on their own accord. Right. Yep. All right. So let's, let's finish the chronology. So you're at... French Laundry. You're there how long? When do you leave? Uh, I left in, uh, I left to open up per se. So I left in oath, the end of 03. Okay. I arrived in New York, Unsight Unseen, 2004. So obviously, and I hate to interrupt, but obviously you're doing a good enough job where they said, let's ship this dude east. 
Well, I mean, I asked to go. I mean, basically, but I was they could say, "Well, of course, we have other guys, or we're not ready for you." So. Yeah, no. I mean, I don't think I don't think you know. I had my choice, basically. You know, hey, what do you want to do during the break? Do you want to go to Las Vegas? Do you want to take some time off um, and come back to the French Laundry? Do you want to go to New York? And you know, I felt like you know, as the hype started to build, even within the four walls of the restaurant. I was like, how could I sit this out? Like, this is must do. This this is one of the biggest, you know, baddest, you know, comebacks, you know, homecomings in a very long time. You know, a really, um, what do you want to call it? You know, it was a big anticipated restaurant opening, and I was like, I have to go. It was something about it. It was that I had to pretty. Go. Uh, Everything about it, him, yep. the physical location, Time Warner, New Correct. York, his East Coast outlet. Yeah. You know, it's it, it was awesome. So you get there, you get there as a psalm. Yep. And you're there how long? I'm there for about three years. And what's it like? I mean, it's a huge list. I, I've been there a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's a little snooty, but it's a little intense. You know, the food's amazing. The service is impeccable. I think we... we prided ourselves in having you know a serious style of service but it was kind of it was it was it wasn't as tight as french it right. was it was a little you know it was a little california but you know that gave us personality and we we enjoyed that we reveled in the fact that it that we weren't as tight you know it wasn't we weren't we didn't you know at the time we you know we presented bottles tableside freehand right that you know there was right. not typical French, you know, we didn't present corks. That's something we didn't do. If we recommended a bottle of wine to someone, we opened it and tasted it first and brought it to the table unopened, which some of these things were, were kind of unheard of. Right. It's um, sort of assumed or established. Yeah. Now. Well, you know, you'd bring that. Yeah. But you yeah. Would, yeah. So we just, you know, we, it was, it was great. You know, I basically worked and fed off the adrenaline for three years. What, um, as far as the wine, bigger list east or west? And I hate to ask the question better, but, you know, which was more interesting or... Oh, it just it just depends. I think, you know, Per Se was the big New York debut. And, um, you know, in California, I think when in Rome, a lot of people drank. I mean, there was some really great big bottles. You had bottles to that shift towards the California thing. Well, we had that and people... But most people in, in New York, because of it, the palate and its proximity to Europe... Um, and the they, drank, they drank. They drank. They drank a lot of, of, of European wine, Bordeaux, Burgundy, and uh, you know I think at some point in time, the list at per se was probably larger, um, but I don't think that uh, I don't think that they were ever going to let per se get a grand award before right. before French Laundry. <laughs> yeah, did. that so, ain't happening. I mean, it was nothing that was never said, but. Um, you know, it you know it just kind of you kind of got I kind of got that feeling that that's how that was going to go down. Um, it was intense. It was really intense, but like it was so exciting, so exciting. Like I couldn't wait to go to sleep so I could wake up the next morning. Right. And I never went to sleep. That you know that was it. That's the way life should be. Yep. Um, we're gonna move on from per se to the next things, but before two kind of interesting stories. Mm-hmm. Um, one I want you to tell them, one I'm going to quickly tell. Mm-hmm. I picked up a book out of nowhere about Per Se mm-hmm. that this woman wrote, mm-hmm. and it was this sort of incredibly intense, intimate, cool snapshot of what the hell was going on in the restaurant. True. And I kind of savored it. It's like, wow, you know, this woman's very articulate. Yeah. And this is cool, a restaurant of this stature. And I even forgot the name, and you'll fill in all the blanks. <laughs> but here's the two stories. That woman who wrote the book, if I'm correct is your wife, and you met her at Per Se. So I want you to quickly, as we exit the Per Se, tell me the story, you know, of how you met your wife at Per Se. Yes, I met my wife at Per Se. Um, She was a back waiter at first and became a captain. Shortly after that, became a captain. Uh, I believe she didn't really know much about wine, or that wasn't her strong suit. And so I was always in her station, very flirtatious, talking to her, (laughs) helping her out. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another, but we had kind of like the secret romance. There, there was a no fraternization policy. Ooh. And, uh, you know, it'd be that kind of stuff where, you know, I'd be at some bar and, 
you know, whispering sweet nothings in her ear, and you know, some one of the staff members would walk into this bar, and you know, and I would just totally freak out and be behind the bar on the ground looking for a contact lens, right? And the, and the bartender's like, "But sir, you're wearing glasses." I'm right. like, yeah, yeah, okay. But anyways, Cover me, will you? yeah, we had we had this amazing, amazing romance, and uh, how, when you got there, how far into it? Six months. So you're there six months, boom, started, that happens, started, and for two and a half years, the two of you. Yeah, for, yeah, about 18, yeah, so about 18 months, yeah, so for about a year strong. Right. And uh, and then she ended up leaving to move on to uh, to write her book, uh, and I still work there. But yeah, and it, you know, started to get serious, you know, more serious and more serious, but yeah, we had, we had like this really great relationship. We still do. Uh, we have four beautiful boys. Did um, you know then, like? She's sort of the one. Yeah, or there was kind. There was a little bit of that. I mean, I think there was a little bit of that. But then also, you know, she, you know, she's the one that's, you know, she's kind of pretty forward. She's like, so what's happening here? We've been dating for a year. Right, right. I was like, what do you mean? We're like hanging out. She goes, no, what's happening? I'm like, oh my god, like you're 27, just relax. But yeah, yeah, really. um, but it, um, yeah, I, I think you know, she was, she knew what she wanted, um, and. That was it. That was the, the, the rest so of So when history. did you get married? We got married in 2008. Okay. Um, so 2008, we got, we got married. Yeah. All right. So quickly. she'll come back into the story yeah, at yeah. some point. But you finish up at Per Se. Why and where do you go? Um, for multiple reasons. Like I, I mean, I just I, there was a shift in dining that I felt that, I, you know, a swell that I was feeling just like going out after work. And hanging out at different places, you know, David Chang had opened up Noodle so Bar. So more casual, or yeah. So it was con- casual, but like the 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 chefs had the pedigree. They were taking all right. these great techniques that they were learning and applying it to, you know, to to street food or where they're from, or like lowbrow food or what, what we consider lowbrow, but making it legit. Yeah, and like this high and low thing, and you know, they wanted to do <clears throat> the chefs wanted to do it on their own terms. They wanted to play rap music and have their Led Zeppelin t-shirts on and rock tennis shoes and they didn't need to have their you know they didn't they didn't need all these other things they didn't need a Gucci so they need all of these other things those the things that made it more pomp about pomp and circumstance people were willing you started to see people were willing to pay for great food for for farms and recognizing farms and that to me I was drawn to that and that was a different experience you know, you talked about the early days of French Laundry, how Correct. it evolved it per se. Correct. I mean, now you're kind of yep. going the other way. Not that per se is bad. Or, no, you no, know, no. And I love those styles of restaurants, right. and they, I believe they have their places. But it was just amazing to me that I couldn't get enough of that part, too. And I realized that out of the 20 guys that were in the kitchen, you know, only a handful of them aspired to be to own a restaurant like the one that they currently work in. They were all going to go back to where they came from and and do this do this thing that I saw happening and I wanted to I wanted to be a part of that and I felt like the only way to continue to learn about wine was to make my own and so wait and you leave. you leave I leave per se you don't take a job at another in another hospitality not, situation not at, not at first but I eventually did yes okay so just tell me after you leave what you do um I take a whole bunch of time off. Okay, <laughs> it takes you know it takes almost three months to kind of decompress. Like Literally, you're on high, yeah, I get high that. alert. You walk into any restaurant or any room, you can, you're, you're surveying. You're like that, you know that picture's crooked. That chair is chipped in the back. That waiter <laughs> doesn't have any uh, socks on. Right, that guy's belt doesn't match. Like you're just trained, and these things are, and so you you're keen to these things. And uh, it took a lot of time to kind of decompress. And you know, just trying to really figure out what I was doing, and then, and then you know, I kind of embarked on like you know, starting to dabble in, in in on the wine side. So I started to spend some time in California. I spent some time in in Oregon, and you know, it it was always a stop and start kind of thing. And the money would run out, <laughs> and you know, I would have to go back and work for someone else or consult. And you know, I spent some time working for some larger restaurant groups. I worked for Shelly Fireman, which was you know, totally opposite of what I had been used to or where I came from. Uh, but all of those experiences were great. I ended up you know, being the general manager at a small restaurant in the West Village uh, where you know, there were a lot of creative people who were coming in um, and it was different. And you know, it, 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 all of those things I felt like you know, really prepared me for the place that I'm in now. That's important. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so you get that under your belt, which you know, 
you say in a good way helps you, <laughs> when, which I agree. Um, when do you focus entirely on the wine thing or pull the trigger? Uh, it was in 2010. Um, so we're talking a decade ago at this point. Yeah, so I started the company about 13 years ago. And it was a kind of stop and start, and I had some stuff. It was just more of a hustle. It was less of a real business. Right. Uh, and then in 2010, after my second kid was born, uh, I never went back and worked for anybody else. And so that was like August of July. Basically, he was born in August. July is when I never, I, I so left. So you decided, I'm going to focus on this my thing it. and get it. Yeah. Now I'm getting this going. This is it. You know, And that to- is... That is your wine company in Oregon. Yeah, I, I originally started a company called um, Mouton Noir Wines, um, and you know we were first started making a little bit of wine in California, made a little bit in Washington. We also uh, started to make some in Oregon, and then you know I had to retool and refocus, and I just really started to concentrate on Oregon, and and over the next ten years, you know I really dedicated myself to that business and. Um, you know, we're sold in almost every single state, 22 countries. All right, I want to come back to that because yep. I want to spend some good time. But I, you know, one of the reasons I want you on the show is, you know, you have a great story. And I wanted to talk to you about a few things about the business, mm-hmm. not your business, but the business itself. Yes. And the question really is why does diversity suck in the wine business? Like, when will we move towards equality, you know, in the industry? When will that take place? And I ask that because I don't don't think we're there, and I just want your take on it. Well, I think, you know, my biggest thing is is that there needs to be, it just needs to be more visibility, right? I think when people see people that look like them in the industry, then they start to feel a little bit more welcome. And, you know, but easier said than getting there. You know, how do we get there? Well, I think I think you actually stop having people on the show to talk about diversity and actually talk about real things. And, you know, that was really, you know, something that I decided that I was going to make happen in 2020. It's, you know, I think that I've done enough in the business and not not to pat myself in the back. I I think I I, I, there's a lot more things I want to do. But I shouldn't just be on the show to talk about diversity. There's a lot of things that I've done that that warrant me a place on on a, on a show, and not not just your show in general. That, that's not I'm not talking about you. This is not a right. attacking at you. It's just in general. It's just like everybody wants to have the conversation about what diversity is and how can we change it, but nobody follows through on the next step, which is actually going out and finding those people that you want to include in the diversity. I mean, I think right now you, what you really see is, um, you know, you see, you see lots of women, which is awesome, but you know, pe- people of color and women of color, you know, that kind of thing. So it's, it's starting to happen. A Do little you bit. feel there was an issue with women years ago and that has changed a little? Of course. Okay. Of course, of course there was. You okay. Know, you know, I just, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I absolutely believe that, that, uh, you know, they weren't getting their just due. Right. Right. Um, so when you talk about not talking and doing, what's some of the doing? Oh, like you. Well, I mean, it, it's actually doing the real work to go find those people. Like, they're, it, they're just not going to come to you. Like, it's like, you know, I was at, sitting on a panel and they were talking to a couple of other restaurateurs and they were like, well, it's not like we don't, it's not like we don't hire them. They just don't apply. And so the idea of it is, is that if that's something that you really want, then you have to go to those places where those people are. So um, if you understand they're not applying, you don't throw the towel in. In order to get to the next step, you have to be a little okay. more proactive. And I, think, and I think everybody... Is that fair? Yeah, that is fair. But every, I feel like there's a lot of people trying. There's a lot of people trying. And, you know, maybe sometimes it's, it's trying too much. You know, it's like, you know... Are you, are you, do you trying have, for the sake of trying or so I, think, I think there's a little bit of that and, you know, and just saying, Hey, you know, I'm, you know, I'm this, but like, I just think that it just, you know, and you know, we talked a lot about, you know, hiring with hiring within, right. Having somebody who's already in your ecosystem that understands, um, you know, your code of ethics, all these other things and bringing them up and training them that way right. uh, is a, is a, is a, is a, is a really great way. I mean, I remember, I worked at Red Lobster. I put the sauce on the plates. I used to wash dishes, and then I, they, they moved me up. 
and I used to put the sauce on the plates, and, and they would never let me be a waiter. Why? They just, just, they just didn't think that I had it in me, and I always would laugh. And um, I remember I just looked in the newspaper. And was were, it age? I think a little, color? I, I think, well, I mean, the thing with those things is you don't know. And, and for me, I've learned a long time ago that, that that's, it, it's, none of my, it's none of my business. Not my, I, like, I can't waste my time trying to figure out why I didn't get something. Right. Right. It's it's just to, it's just to keep pushing and to right. get it. So instead of worrying about why what it was that I didn't get, I just showed up when when all the other people applied and I had a suit on and they couldn't believe it was me, and I ended up getting a job. I did I did that two or three times and they realized that I was serious and they and they they gave me a chance and they said hey and in the end I became you know I was the golden boy. Do do people get caught up on the why? I mean, is that part think, of the? I think I think some people I think some people can like yeah. I just I, like for there's me, always going to be somebody. I, like I feel that. like I just I it's just I can't. It is, it's like if I if I if I started to worry about that, then that, then that becomes an, an obsession. It's like why well, didn't get something? Like I don't know why someone didn't buy my wine. I don't know why you know. Hopefully, you know maybe they thought it was flawed. I don't know. I will never know why. Right. Right. And, and you're so, not going to fixate over it. Correct. I'm just going to keep moving. You count the nose. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. But I mean, that's not just the healthy way, but the real way to just keep moving forward. Do you think yep. there's enough education and exposure if you take the wine world um, to people of color? Um, well, I think the exposure, I mean, I think for a lot of people of color, you know, they don't think that it's for them, and so so there's yeah. kind of the initial problem. Yeah, correct. Well, it's just you know and you got to get there first. Correct. If there's visibility, they see other people that look. I mean, I get thousands of emails a month uh, on people wanting to break in the business. They see me as this person who's doing something that, or in a field or a realm of where they want to be, um, and it's you know it's a lot of that is talking to them, saying, hey, well, you know, this is where you should go. This is what you should do. But you know, a lot of that is lonely. You got to walk that road, and and there's a lot of there's a lot of people of color out there now that that are putting together their own, you know, tasting groups and 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 have wine businesses, and it's really it's really great to see. You know, it 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 didn't exist right when I first started. Not right. even not even close. So there's I don't even want to use the word progress. But there's <laughs> some forward movement. There is. There absolutely is. There are things is. noticeable that well, least, didn't exist. This is my thing. My, but my I think at least, far. At least, at least, but at least we're talking about it. That's like yeah. I feel like so I'm not poo-pooing all of it. I'm not like it, it's just saying that like okay now it's just time it's time to move on. What are we gonna do about it? Right. It's that part versus like all right we keep saying that that there's not enough there's not enough there's not enough. So what are we gonna do about it? How are we gonna move forward? Um, but also, you know, I, I, I tell other people, don't wait for don't wait for someone to give you something. No, like go in, go in there and get it. And be a, you, be a part of it. by example, you stated how you didn't. Correct. You know, Absolutely. so obviously, I mean, it, on the topic, if there's any good advice <laughs> related to the topic or not, Absolutely, don't yeah. you know? Well, for for everything, don't like you know most most of most of, most of my life. I only had, you know, I had more time than money. Right. So go right. Work, go work for free. Right. Go learn the business. Like the, Do the best thing you can with your time. Correct. People just don't know how to utilize yeah, that. Like, and then when they have money, they don't know what to do with the money yeah. and the time and all that. So it's like go in and, and learn. Meet those people. Are you making meaningful relationships? Come and work for free. Get to know it. Like, because in the end, if you want it bad enough, you would be paying them if you had the money to do it. Right. Right. And that that that's the trick. You know, like to me... You know, the joke is on everybody else because they're paying me for something that I would pay them to do. Right. Right? Don't tell them that, though. Yeah, well, I know. Can we edit that? <laughs> well, that, that that's a good take and a good start. Um, let's talk about your wines. We're talking to Andre Mack. Um, Andre's wine company is Maison Noir. Um, before we get into the wines, and you may have broached this topic a little. Mm -hmm. I think you and I talked about it actually outside. Mm-hmm. Why do all Psalms want to like make their own wine? And then here's the throw on to that. You said, well, you know, all Psalms or, or wine guys want a restaurant, you know, to, to you know, yeah. expose wine or their wines. Or what's the contagion there? Well, I think as a sommelier or as trained wine professional, you're always taught 
when you're tasting this is you circle back around. Why does this wine taste the way that it is, right? A wine is presented to you, you smell it, you taste it, you give it a whirl. Okay, and now you start to evaluate it. Why does it taste this way? And you keep circling back around. Is it something that they're doing in the vineyard? Is it something that they're doing in the winery? Those things, and that's why you work harvest, like to bring it all together, right? To bring it full circle. And so just another part of the step is actually being hands-on and making it. Being in that ecosystem. Helps, helps you helps you understand understand the end, the end result. I don't want to say product because some people get all mad, but like helps you understand the finished product right. a lot better. And so being able to make it and understand the components and how it's put together um, just gives you a better understanding of what wine is in general. And you can speak about it in a different way. Um, but not every psalm becomes a winemaker. So there are certain guys that have the curiosity but Correct. not the drive or don't even give a crap or whatever. Um, Andre, we have to take a break. Yes. Um, when we come back, I want to talk to you specifically about your wines. And then we have bunch of other things that you're involved with that I want to make sure we get to. Yes. We're talking to Andre Mack. Andre makes uh, Maison Noir wines and a bunch of other exciting things. You're listening to The Grape Nation. This is Sam Ben Ruby. We'll be right back. This episode is presented by Henry's Wine and Spirit, a go-to shop for anyone interested in natural wines and boutique spirits. There's a large selection of everything from orange wines, pet gnats, and reds from around the world. Whether visiting the shop in person or online, looking for a gift for a loved one or that everyday dependable bottle, you're sure to find lots of interesting wines at Henry's. There's free shipping on orders over $300 on the website henrys.nyc and case discounts when you visit the store located in Bushwick. Cheers. All right, we're back. We're back with my guest, Andre Mack. Andre Mack is a winemaker, has his own winery, Maison Noir. And in a few minutes, we're going to get to a bunch of other stuff that he's pretty deep into. Um... (laughs) Did any one person or did any wine influence? You explain why Psalms make wine, but was there any influence like this is the type of wine or or, I can't do Burgundy, so I'm going to Oregon? I mean, why did you get to where you are? Oregon was a big thing for me. I I felt like it was was a place that I could really explore on the wine list. It wasn't something that anybody had championed. Right. So, you know, we had, you know, we had Burgundy, we had, and since we were, you know, a California restaurant, a, a spinoff oh, of that, that we, Sonoma, had, Napa, we, we had, we had some back vintages of some of the cult wineries and we had that stuff. And, and Oregon was a place that spoke to me because it was, it, it was, you know, to me, I felt like they were making some of the best Pinot Noir in America that was reminiscent of, of Burgundy. You know, all the great wine lists that I had a hand in building, they bookend on red and white Burgundy. And so Oregon just felt like this, this open area. And so it was some, a portion of the list that I began to build. Uh, and, you know, I had a sense of pride in that. And, um, and just the stars aligned. You know, obviously I wanted to be in Oregon. But, you know, at the, in general, at first I was where I had better terms and, and, you know, had more resources to help me start and work on this, this project that I was Well, in, tell was me on. about that because you're not a traditional winery. No. I mean, you're making a lot of different wines, and Correct. you're making a decent amount of wine. Correct. So how do you have it set up? Well, we use a custom crush facility, and that's that's been really great. You know, I mean, originally... In Oregon? In Oregon. Generally, you know, you look at something like Carlton Wine Studio, which was made more boutique-y. I think, you know, at some point, they you know there's a waiting list, and you tap out at 1,200 cases, so you can't really make any more. Right. Uh, and for me, I wanted to speak to a younger audience about wine, and I think you can't do that with wine that you know for $28 let let alone $75 so for me you know I I, you know I had 28 being a little high for a young yeah absolutely okay I just want to be clear yeah and so for me I wanted to I I wanted to speak to a younger audience and so being able to work with 
you know, different food sources was, was, was something that I wanted. Obviously, it was great to be able to work with Seven Springs Fruit, and that was great, but, you know, it's really expensive. And, and to have access to that and to know, know, those, know those people there and all that thing, that was awesome. But, but the challenge was to make a great wine for less than that. Correct. And, and to put it into people's hands and, and to empower people to say that you don't need anybody to tell you that this wine is good. Do you like it or do you not? All right, you don't. There's no other. I mean, you don't need. You know, I think you don't need anybody to tell you if you like Diet Coke or Pepsi, right? You you just try it and you say you have it. There's no tasting notes that come with a cocktail, right? You you sit there and you taste it, and so you know this is all this mystique that's surrounded by wine. But also, I wanted to show people that it didn't have to be that serious. Or and or like the more you knew about wine, I felt like the less serious you had to be about it. And you know, and that's and when I say serious, maybe I mean more playful. In the way that if you if you've eaten at the French Laundry or per se, and you've read the menu, the menu is filled with quotes, uh, and it, and it's pretty playful in it in its descriptions or what dishes are called, and um, you know that was something that I, I really I really learned to embrace. It, you know, picked up um, on. Yeah, you know I you know I always tell people you know when I tell people that Thomas Keller has a you know a, a pretty keen sense of humor. They're like, ah, I don't picture him. Seems kind of dry. Yeah, my thing is like, but yeah, he does. He's not back there cracking jokes and slapping his knee. That's not that's not who he is. But you know, his his sense of humor comes out in his play and 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 the dishes and and you know, I wanted to carry some of that over into what I was doing and and, and it kind of takes away from some of the, pardon me, the pretension that that surrounded in those in those fields. You know, so in fine dining and and and, and fine wine, I just. You know, I really wanted people to think, you know, you know, it's like the comment, like Patch Adams wore, you know, the clown nose. Right. Right. Those kind of things to kind of like put people at ease. And I think we I think we I did a really good job at that. Well, when I asked you earlier about influences, that's certainly. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that, that came info. through. So you're doing custom crush. Yep. You're roaming around. Yep. The state. Money. Yep. No, didn't get there yet. Okay. Looking for growers. Yep. Contracting grapes. Yep. I would think, you know, 10, 12, 13 years into it, you've been working with some of the same guys. Absolutely. For years. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I don't want to be buzzword Sam tonight, but <laughs> I mean, are organics, biodynamics, sustainability yeah. practices, well, yeah, I think is that the, important? Yeah, I, that's, those are very important, but I feel like those to me are, are more of a way of life and less less marketing terms for us. You know, we've been working with Highland, which you know, a lot of that. That's just the way they do it. Yeah, it's it's bio. It's you know, right because that's it's all that's what you want. Correct, and some of it like and like you want to have the leeway to be able to kind of maneuver within that. You know, a lot of people don't spray copper because copper's not g- good. You know, well, right? <laughs> yep. Um, one of the things about your wines, and you know, I, I think the Thomas Keller thing was a good lead in. Um, you know, you've created some great wines. Of great quality yep. that are great value, mm-hmm. and obviously that was you know what you set out to do. Correct. Um, <clears throat> the wines, as an extension to that, have very cool labels mm-hmm. and very cool names and all that. I mean, there's a sensibility there that's very specific. I Correct. how would you categorize that? I mean, I wouldn't say hip hop or. But there's some of that. There's some of that culture. Hip hop is, you know, some people, you know, that that's a culture. Huge. Yeah, that's a culture. And and for me, you know, I was a kid who who grew up. I grew up on hip hop. You know, I listened to punk rock music. I skateboarded. You know, and and then I fell. And later in life, I fell in love with wine. And being being able to put those two, put those things together, was like was amazing. Right. Right. And the fact that I could make a living out of that. That I, you know. And, it, and that and that it resonated with hundreds of thousands of people who actually buy buy those things from us. Right, um, it's important. That's that that's what it's about. And it was just you know for me it was like how I saw the world. You know from my background of those things I talked about being in wine and how I walked around and how I saw the world. Right, right. Just how things come to me. It's the only way you do it. Yeah, you know that's Absolutely. how you perceive it. That's how you want to present it and yep. all that. Do you think? <clears throat> do you think? You could do what you're doing now without the tool of social media? No. 
I mean, yes, yes. You know, no. you're good at it, yeah, and it's important to you, and you know, you've navigated the way your way around it. I um, learned from Gary Vanderchuk. I, I can't lie Gary and say, say that I know how to do any of that. Me too. He was my first show was with Gary on Sirius. Yep. No, I um, remember. Tell me, tell me why it's it's free advertising, as Gary says. Yeah, it is free <clears throat> advertising. But I think what happens is at the beginning. You know, not a lot of people were on it or using it, but like it was just a way to like to document for me like all the places I was been and like how crazy a lot of it is. You know, getting on a taking a red eye back from the West Coast, landing at JFK, getting in the cab, going directly to LGA, and getting on a plane and going somewhere else right. for the day, and then right. coming right back. Um, I you know, I was gonna work guard regardless. I was gonna work hard regardless. If I had to post it, that was just, that's just who I am. I just, I needed to figure out what I was supposed to be doing. Right. And then I was going to do it like nobody's business. But the social media aspect of it, it became this thing of like where people could go along for the ride. And that was interesting. What I really like about but social media. But you had was, to create an interesting ride for them to correct, want to ride was, along. And it was. It was, right? So there's two things there. Yeah. You could do that, build your brand and image, and then correct. take people with you. Correct. Yeah, and they could come away. But it was, but it was different. It wasn't just like, okay, hey, these are the Chardonnay grapes that you know, like check this out. <laughs> right. Like, but, which is cool. A lot of which that is going cool. on. But, but it's cool though. So you could, if you had some of that, but then also took you some behind, behind some of the things that actually, you know, getting on the road. You know, and I always tell people social media is important, but you know, sales notifications are more important on my phone, right? So I, you know, you know. When you know there's a different ring for sales notification, you know I'm still one of those guys that you know social media is a tool to help me build a business, but it's not every part of that business. And no. I still get up, and I still get on a plane. I still go shake the hands and meet those people who have to create me. those sales notifications, Correct. which by the way pay for the you know yeah. mortgage and all that everything else. Absolutely, um, but social media is 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 big, and I have been taking a little break of recently. Is Just, that because it's tired or you're tired or um you know some days some days you 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 know some days you you second guess yourself some days it's a little too much and some days you're like over it right um and it's not as you can take that break now there yeah. was a time where you thought i gotta oh, yeah, be there no, i gotta yeah, do yeah, it and i was on it you yeah know, four times a day yeah you know? that's not yeah. necessary at well times. it is no there are know, circumstances yeah. and times when it is but not every second of the yeah, and so I've you know I pulled back a little bit, and I'll I'll be back on, but that you know at some point it just it just became a little too much, and so for all of those guys who uh, who miss me and I haven't been posting as regular, <laughs> I'm gonna make sure that I I hook you guys up. There you go. But you know, and it's different. You know, in, you know, experimenting. I think a lot of people are experimenting more with like stories. You know, those things that aren't on the feed that, you know, people curate their feed a little bit more differently. So those all look a certain way. And then, you know, the real behind the scenes stuff happens on on stories. And so I think there's a little bit of shift and, and you know, people are trying to, you know, I think Instagram has probably reached a saturation point in a way. Maybe. And um, but, you know, I, I, I'm super excited to be able to share and to follow. I think it jump starts the conversation when you when you when you already know what someone's been doing and you can you're like oh hey i saw you were in puerto rico like you know what i mean well, i Instead agree with like, you yeah. and i think the nice thing about you is you have a lot to share and you know how to share it and you share it well yeah, yeah. so Thank it's you. that much more you know interesting it's a tool to people but it's also about the content Absolutely. and your content is the life the product your vision and all that and right. that that all transcends i want to talk to you about a couple things yes quickly um because I want to subject you to our wine list and I want to taste one of your wines, do a little evaluation for our weekly wine sip. Not too long ago, I think it was October, you released a book. Yes. Called 99 Bottles. 99 Bottles, yes. And so let's do the, the standard stuff. <laughs> Why did you write it? How long did it take? And I can explain the book, but... There yeah. was sort of a presentation or an objective of, you know, what the book was. Got I it. guess you could say it's a wine guide and a life story, but take me through all of that. Yeah, um, I had the idea. Uh, basically, it stemmed from emails that I used to send to my family 
Uh, it, it's always been tentatively called 99 bottles. It was 99 bottles that you should be drinking. All my relatives always wanted to drink. This was once. a thing with you way before the book. Yeah. Just okay. like they, you know, it's like I would send out emails to, to them about, about the wine and about what they should be drinking, that kind of thing. And then, and then I thought, Hey, maybe I should put together a little guide that goes through this thing. And after speaking with my agent for a little bit, we realized that we should do something a, a little bit different. And we basically, you know, present it 99 bottles that tell my wine life story. And um, I'm trying to remember. It's chronological. It's chronological, right? yeah. yeah. But you yeah, can, it's not random. It's not random. And right. It's not a ranking. It's just basically right. you can you can hop to any it's an index, or you can hop to anything that I recommend. Reading it straight, you through. could hop, so, yeah, but yeah. read it straight through yeah, or glance you, straight. Yeah, through. you know, you know way more about my life. But it's done in the same style of, of of how I've done much things in my life. It's it's really a parody on a wine guide. Yeah, it's set up. Like well, a that wine that's guide. I want you to yeah. talk about that yeah. because there's been a lot of wine guides out there. Correct. Um, some are good, you know. But some that, are okay. But that's, that's my. Thing. I had Aldo Soman. I think yeah. his was pretty good, but yeah. there's way more beyond. I that. just. I, but my thing was is I wanted. It was just by reading my story, and in, it being engaged in the story that you learn more about wine. Right. It's more native. Right. But it looks like a wine guide. It's set up like a wine guide. As the as like you know, kind of like this, you know, I'm I'm thumbing my nose right now, but like thumbing my. It's my a lot nose of like, fun. Yeah, it should be. You know, and the wines. So there's two things going on. There's great stories and there's great wines attached to it, and the diversity of wines are crazy. I mean, Correct. you start out with like, was it Old English? Yeah, so it's Old English. Yeah. You know, and I related to you. I'm a little older than <laughs> yeah, you, but yeah. the Boone's Farm thing. Yeah, it's Boone's like nobody Farm. knows about that yeah. unless you're, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So it's just funny, and then you get into you know, obviously, 1922 Vegas Sicilia. Yeah, the Burgundies right. yeah, and yeah. all of that stuff. Um, is there any? It's a silly question, but I'm more curious. Was there any chapter or wine, you know, that just resonated the most with you or they were all it's like what's your favorite who's your favorite kid? It was is. there something there that was like I think just the whole process was amazing. You know, a lot of it, you know, it was and then it became this thing of like I didn't sit down and say, I'm just gonna write this book. You know, we took it story by story. I used voice dictation, you know, a lot of that, I used technology to How to long write did the book. it take to write it? Uh, it was probably you know maybe two years. In it the was making. that long. Yeah, huh? in the making, a little bit of it. But you know, basically we had well, the idea. Are we talking of the like you know five seven hours a week, couple hours a day, or no? Because you're busy, dude. Less, not that less, much. Less less of that because we had you know I had the outline. But yeah, you know, and the, the type of book, it's not this intense you but, know but biography. It, but it was. But it a was, lot of at the end in the editing process, there was you know it was a month, eight hours a day. Really. Right. Okay. Yeah. You know, just really trying to get the stories right, really doing the research to go back to make sure that that was the name of that bar. Is it that bar? Is it not? Reliving, you know, it was basically reliving right. my life. And it that was really, takes time. It was really interesting that, you know, my assistant, you know, who was who was part of that process, you know, reliving my life and talking about things, he was so inspired that, you know, he asked, could he take some time off so he could go to Napa with his girlfriend? Wow. And uh, it was Well, you hope it, it that really it has cool. that effect with... Everyone yeah, who reads you it, you do, and but also yeah. it's like you're. It's your own story. It's nine. It's ninety nine bottle life. You know, life. You know, ninety nine bottle. A black sheep's guide to life changing wines, right? So it's life changing wines, but my my life. You have your own. The idea is that I want people to go out and find their own ninety nine. What's your ninety nine? It's more that than it's in. It's setting a outline correct for people this is me how i do it what's yours yeah this is how i got here but everybody gets to get everybody gets places in life differently and to know that there's no one right way and we all have to start somewhere well put um the book is fresh i mean it just came out in october yeah it's good you know so it's it's you know you should get it we miss the holidays but it's never too late i'm sure amazon better bookstores. i I would predict that i'm gonna have better sales than the holidays this year just it just it you know it's just it's just a fun thing i think holidays are great but like people yeah want to check it out i i enjoyed it yeah um i don't want to make any comparisons but there's two books i read this year yep jane lopes vignette where yep. she takes mm-hmm. experiential Correct. stories and matches them to wine two different mm-hmm. takes but no, absolutely but an approach that not everyone's doing nope. and and very readable all right so that's the book uh 99 bottles amazon better bookstores um 
just came out, you know, a few months ago. So take a look for it. Check it out. The last thing is, and then we got to get to the uh, wine (laughs) list and we got to taste some wine. All right. The last thing is kind of exciting because, you know, a buddy of mine sends me a text today with a shot from the post. You just opened, you're in Brooklyn now with the wife and kids. You just opened two places. Do we call it two places? It's it's actually two separate places. A wine store, bar, I, and a restaurant. Yeah, me and my wife. Go, per- give me the. Me and my wife purchased the wine shop. This is all a family business. Um, we wanted to do something um, to contribute to our the changing narrative of our neighborhood in in Brooklyn that we had been living in for ten years, and we saw an opportunity to. I had my lifelong dream was I wanted to own a restaurant. Or something like that, be a part of the industry in that way as an owner uh, in uh, this great city of, of New York. And uh, we had just come back from, um, we were living in Europe for about four months. In 2016, we came back. Um, and I remember telling my wife, I was like, nope, we're not gonna go anywhere. We're not gonna spend part of our year in Europe um, each year. Uh, I, I said, I wanna open a restaurant and uh, started looking. Uh, found a place in October of 16. And then uh, after negotiation for a while, uh, we end up signing two leases um, on a place right around the corner from my home, Uh, basically like a two-minute and 36-second walk. Uh, We've timed it. Good commute. Um, And then we end up signing the lease on January 14, 2017. And uh, and it's taken three years. We finally opened. um, It's called Ann Sons. Uh, It's... uh, you know, it's an homage to American food culture, um, all things fermentation. So it's uh, American hams, um, you know, so cured hams from the South, country hams, uh, American cheese, um, and you American wine. brought in wine. vintage slicing machines, right? Yeah, vintage, American-made vintage slicing machines that we had restored. Um, mostly all the, everything in the, in the, in the restaurant is American, it's 20 seats. Um, most of the wine list focuses on uh, vintage wines uh, from the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. So it's about one of the things that connects is, you know, I always ask my guests to bring wine in. So in a few minutes, we're going to taste Andre's Mouton uh, Maison Noir. But he brought in another wine, a Pine Ridge, 1983. Yeah. And I'm like, where did you, why? He goes, the whole, my whole vibe about my new place is vintage wines. Yeah. So when you go into, and it's called... And Sons. So And Sons, Ambersant Sons is for America Sons. Right. For my four sons. You know, it's just an homage and a celebration of American food culture. And so we have tons of old wines like this, uh, Pine Ridge. You know, and it's really interesting. I, 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 you know, I try to tell a lot of the young sommeliers and winemakers that, like, we have to understand our past if we want to know where we're going to go in the future. And, and, and we romanticize about all the, the illustrious history of winemaking in France and in other countries, Italy. Uh, but, we, but we've been making wine for a while now and, and, and that these things should be appreciated as well. And so we've kind of put together this really cool small list. It's on 300, 300 selections, small from, for my career. And a lot of back vintage, vintage back stuff. Back vintage stuff. There's really, it's really fun. You know, it's a really fun yeah, I mean, atmosphere, when 20 you, seats. When you talk about new places, I mean, not a lot of people focus on, you know, older wines. They'll no. pick an area, Champagne's hot. Yeah, you know, and, so, and, we have, and we have the new, we have the new yeah, cool yeah, kids no, really, I'm not, release I'm stuff. not boxing you, but yeah, you no, probably no. have as much or more than um, anyone Than most, else. and that, that is yeah. true. That is absolutely um, true. And then we bought a pre-existing wine shop that's further down the street, me and my wife. Called? It's called Vineyard. V-Y-N-E-Y-A-R. And what's the... What's the goal there? I mean, what do you use? Well, we just wanted to a place for a retail outlet for people to be able to buy some of the wines that they've tried. At Curated store. wines, yeah. You so know, yeah, that and, it's, and it's older, 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 older vintage. That too. Then. Yeah, older vintage American wines, but okay. also it's an international list. And tell me where these are located. Uh, we're located on Rogers Avenue in Prospect Lefferts Garden. All right. Um, keep an eye out for that. Um, I will post that. We don't have a lot of time left, so we have to buzz through Let's stuff. Let's do it. I want you to answer my wine list. Five yes, questions. I, got it. I ask everybody the same five questions because you don't have a lot of time. You can't dwell on them. Okay. Don't overthink these. I won't. If you have to pass, just tell me pass, and we'll come back. All right. Okay. What are you drinking now? What are you? What's in the fridge? What are you tasting? Is it relevant to the restaurant? To it the store? Not. To I'm drinking wines from the Canary Islands. Okay. 
<laughs> are you drinking like Envenate and all the other yes, guys? Why know? the Canary Islands? It's something that I've always liked. I mean, I remember when I first came to New York, we were drinking those. Those wines were made in a slightly different style than they're being presented now. But um, I don't know. I just think this is really cool. They're really light. They're refreshing. Um, you know, they really have a great expression of terroir. Good answer. Yep. Um, do you have a favorite wine and food pairing? Uh, French fries and Old Riesling. Okay, that's always a good one. No. <laughs> Champagne ain't bad with that either, right? I like I like the salty and sweet. Do you have a Riesling that you like or love? People um, always like to hear what you like. Uh, Riesling, yeah. I mean, I've 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 been drinking a lot of well, like, you're not JJ gonna... Prume from the '80s. Okay, yeah. Would the newer prunes be okay with some French? No, absolutely. Okay, they, to- they totally would be. But that you know, ask me what I was drinking. That's generally what I'm going for. All right. Favorite? You're a busy guy. You've been uh, sort of entrenched in the restaurant, but New York's a pretty good town to ask this question. Favorite wine restaurant and our bar? Who's doing it well, vibe, list, know what they're doing? Could be a restaurant, could be a bar, both. I actually like uh, Charlie Bird. I feel like they're like they're doing a really great job. They have good this curated. Mic- yeah, the list is very small. They have this micro list, and so they basically have done all the guessing work. Like there's not verticals to pick through you know what i mean right. like this kind of thing it but forces you to pick yeah. a good wine yeah, and they have great glassware it's awesome that's, i really like it that's and somewhat of a sh- and i dig the music somewhat of a show favorite i yeah. mean it comes up more than you know others in that sense yeah i think it's great um i used to ask people their favorite all-time wine you know what was the most expensive rare wine that's not the question anymore okay what's the wine that's the most important to you or was experiential or had an impact oh man Jeez, I mean, most impact. You know, and I'm going to say something that's really weird. It's not, it's not an expensive wine. That, I, I, that's I talk, why I, I moved away I, I from talk, I talked about it in my book. It was Vos Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, it was the Napa Valley Sauvignon Blanc. Spell it. Uh, V-O-S-S. V-O-S-S. Yeah, and uh, I remember I think you mentioned that in the book. Yeah, yeah, I taste, yeah, I was tasting this wine. Had an impact on you. Yeah, I mean, it just said, wow, like, this is so different. You know, it was probably the first Sauvignon Blanc I ever had. Right. But it was just... It, you liked the profile of Sauvignon Blanc? Well, I wouldn't say that. It was just so... In, it was okay. in stark contrast of all the other wines that we were tasting. We were tasting wines back and forth, and I, that really let me know that wine was different. It was awesome. It, 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 Good the answer. Light, the light bulb went on. That's, that's the real answer. Yeah. Not a 61 Petrus. Correct. You know, Correct. through your travels, certainly it... French Laundry and Per Se, you were exposed to a lot of that stuff. All right, last question, Mm -hmm. and you should be able to answer this. (laughs) I think I'm going to throw the softball to you. Oh, really? um, For a good reason, because I think you're in that zone. I ask all my guests, recommend the best wine, 15 to 20 bucks. Give me a red, give me a white. You said it before I did, and I'm so repetitive. My kids are in their 20s. They can't bring a crap bottle of wine for $9, $12. They can't afford 40 so in your Ooh. Maison Noir, give me a white and give me a red somewhere in that range. At what price point? 15, 20, 22. 15 to 20, 22. Well, I mean, you can't go wrong with OPP. Okay, other OPP is other one pe- of your wines. Yeah, it's a OP, other people's Pinot, Pinot. Noir. So it's uh, my interpretation of everyday drinking Willamette Valley Pinot Noir. That's what kind I'm talking the best, about. Best both worlds. California fruit meets the terroir, taste the land of the old world. Give me a white. Uh, white wine. What am I digging right now? Um, 15, 20 bucks. Yeah. I've been, I've been drinking a lot of Big Salt. I'm kind of keeping it in the Pacific Northwest. Big Salt is a... Is a is big a, Salt? Big Salt. It's from Ovin... Ovin uh, S-A-L-T? Yeah. And it's in that price range? It, absolutely. Absolutely. It's amazing. It's amazing. Big salt. Riesling. Riesling. It's, it's like Riesling. It's a white wine blend. Riesling, a verge demeanor. There's a couple other grapes in there, but that, that's what I would recommend. All right. Um, I mentioned it once before, but I post all our answers on the list. We have three minutes left. Yes. I'm sorry it came down to only three minutes. No, all good. But every week we taste a different wine on air for our weekly wine sip. We're going to taste one of your wines. Set me up quickly and give me a pour. Got it. So this is uh, Vine and Supply. It's a new uh, company that I started. This is uh, one example. So this is not Maison Noir. No. This is another. It's called Vine and Supply. Vine and Supply. All right. This is our uh, single vineyard Pinot Noir. This is from the Highland Vineyard in McMinnville. Okay. Originally planted back in 1974 by David Lett and David Corey. Mm. All right, so let's do the quick evaluation. Color, 
it's got a good firm pinot color. There's some depth to it. It's not that light, you know, Dr. Pepper California stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, I like that Dr. Pepper stuff. Yeah, I like I like that description. Um, I can't really see, but yeah. Tell me the nose. It's an interesting nose. I'm yeah. bad at the descriptors. Yeah, so I think it's like it definitely smells like a little bit of a cotton candy. Yes. Uh, so a little confectionery. In a good way. Yeah, just a little bit of cherry, strawberry, some raspberry. Red fruits all the mm-hmm. way. All right, mouthfeel. Um, medium body. It's got a decent finish, but like you definitely start to salivate. You know, the sides of my tongue are tingling. So it's got it's got good acid, I think. Um, but I preface this, uh, you know, I opened this earlier this, today, so. Uh, medium body for sure. Mm-hmm. Not minus, not plus right there. Mm-hmm. Good acidity. I get it on the tip of my tongue too, which mm-hmm. I normally don't get. All right, give me, um, do any of the palate descriptors match the nose? Yeah, I think so. I think there's a what little bit. What do we bit, got? I feel like it's a little bit darker, so a little bit more stewed. Yeah. There's um, a, when you do yeah. the cotton candy, yeah. it's going to be yeah. sweet. You're going to yeah, get so, stewy. Yeah, yeah. so it's not, it's not sweet on the palate, but it's definitely... It's definitely, you know, feels like it's been cooked cooked a little bit, but not in a bad way. I mean, maybe it's not the right What do we pair this with? Oh, man, country ham. <laughs> Salty con- country ham. Get your best. ass over to Ann's yeah, Sons and drink Sons. some of this stuff <laughs> and uh, try so, country. So country ham, hams, anything else? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty versatile. I mean, pe- mm. you know, s- salmon, right, is a, the ultimate thing. But it's like, pretty good. Uh, no, it's amazing. It's thank a you. delicious thank wine. Yeah, thank you so much. It's really... Um, it's got a lot of character and body to it. I like it. So that is the Vine and Supply. What vintage year? This is uh, 2015. 2015. Um, and what's the retail on that about? Uh, it's about uh, $25. Great price point. Yep. Um, all right. Andre, we got to wrap up. Yes. I told you that no, was going to go no. fast. Yes, you, you do. Let me do our quick wrap up. Leave. If you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at samatthegrapenation.com. That's samatthegrapenation.com. Subscribe to the Grape Nation podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Follow us on Facebook at The Grape Nation. On Instagram, we're at SBenRuby. On Twitter, we're at BenRuby. I know it's confusing, but you can always use the hashtag. Hashtag the Rape Nation. As I mentioned, we'll post Andre's wine list answers and the wines that we tasted today um, on our social media sites. Andre, if we want to find you on social and any of the products, where do we go? Yes, um, for our website for wines, you can go to MaisonNoirWines.com. Uh, same handle on Instagram. For me personally, it's under Andre H. Mack. Uh, A-N-D-R-E-H-M-A-C-K. Yes, at, uh, and that's on Instagram. All right. Uh, Andre is a pretty interesting guy. He's doing a lot of stuff, so it would be fun to follow him and <laughs> get out there and try to taste some of his wines. I want to thank our guest, Andre Mack. Thank you to our engineer, Amanda, as always, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. Grape Nation is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.